Well, turn to the book of Romans. Now, we're going to start our series on Romans today. Um, now, there's 16 chapters in Romans. If I would just take, uh, do a, a chapter a week, it would be 16 weeks, but you know me, it's going to take longer than that. And so we're going to be uh, going through the book of Romans until the Lord tells us to stop, okay? And uh, we'll definitely get through all 16 chapters, but we're going to be like chapter 1. Am I cu- cutting in and out still? I am. I'm going to switch over. We're having problems. Check, check. There I am. Okay. And so we're going to um, go through the book of Romans, and uh, I, we're not going to be able to gain everything. So I want to encourage you to study it for yourself. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, as the Lord leads, just uh, pick a few things out of each chapter and uh, go over them. Some chapters we'll spend a couple weeks on. Some chapters we'll only spend one week on. But I encourage you to... to to study it. So chapter one, I want to encourage you to study. We're going to be on this for a couple of weeks, okay? And uh, just go home and just allow the Lord to, to speak to you, allow the Holy Spirit to tell you what's in it. In fact, some of you can tell me what you got, and I might use it, you know? Amen? And uh, But because there's so much depth in the book of Romans. Romans, I believe, is one of the most important books in the New Testament. In fact, some would, would say it should be called the gospel according to Paul. Because it's so important, it deals with salvation, Um, it deals with uh, grace, it deals with faith, it deals with righteousness, and it's so important for us to uh, study the book of Romans. In fact, um, one commentary I read believed that every Christian should memorize the whole book. So get started. Amen? Amen. Don't don't ask me to, because I can't remember my own birthday. So anyway... um, so uh, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, and we're going to go through uh, chapter 1 a little bit here. I'm going to kind of today give an overview of the whole book of Romans, and then in a couple of weeks we're going to kind of go through uh, uh, the, uh, chapter 1. But in verse 7 it says this, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So Paul is writing this um, from from Corinth, this is where he is. Remember, we did a, a series on on First Corinthians and a number of years ago, and and he's writing from Corinth. Now, Corinth was a messed up church, so he's still there, and he reflects some of that in chapter one, which we'll deal with in a couple of weeks. But he's writing to a group of Christians in Rome. Now, we don't know how the churches got started there. We don't know some some. Some theologians believe they were some of these people were at uh, Pentecost, and remember when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and that and after that they left there uh, from Pentecost, they went to Rome and started churches. And uh, we know that there's multiple churches in Rome. He's not only speaking to one church; he's speaking to a couple different churches, and because he, he makes mention of another church in the home of uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila in Romans chapter sixteen, and so he's he's talking to a group of Christians there in Rome. And Paul's writing to this place. He's never been to Rome. No, he's writing them to tell them he's coming. And his goal was to come and then to go on to Spain after he was in 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 Rome. And so he's telling them he's coming. Now in, in all the book of Rome uh, book of Romans, we don't really feel like he's addressing any specific 
issue. And so like he did in the Corinthians, the Corinthians, uh, first and second Corinthians were corrective letters. This is not a corrective letter. He's talking to them and telling them about his doctrine, about the doctrine of salvation. This is the whole book about the doctrine of salvation. And he wrote this book so they would know the gospel of Christ. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, this is where we get the theme of all the Romans. This is based off of this book. In fact, a lot of times when Paul writes uh, his letters uh, in, cha- in the first chapter, you, you, you are able to see why he is writing. You see the theme of this. And here's the theme of it in, in verse 16 to 17. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. And that's the theme of all the Romans. That, that whole, the, those two verses are really the whole theme of what we find out in Romans. And that's what we're going to be digging into every single week, um, revealing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the righteousness that comes by faith. And that's what he's revealing here. Now, the gospel is very important, and that's why Paul wanted, wrote the book of Romans. The gospel literally means good news. So in a world that back then it was filled, and even today, with bad news, this is good news. This is the best news people can hear. This is not uh, just a, um, a, a, a kind of an idea. This is not just a, a good expressions. This is good news. This is truth that he, he wrote in the book of Romans. And as you discover this, and as we go through this, some of you may discover some new things. You may rediscover some, some things. But my heart is that as we go through that, you're not only going to understand the gospel, you're going to experience the gospel. You're going to live the gospel, and the gospel is such good news that you're going to share the gospel. This is such good news that it should compel us to share it over and over. Not only our testimony, but how good God is and what he has done for you and I. Because this is not good advice. In fact, if you would ask Christians what Christianity is about, they give you good advice. It's not good advice. It's life transformation gospel. This is what happens when the gospel is spoken lives are changed. Amen? And this is what Christianity is all about. And this is the gospel that we need to understand. So here's some things that I, I want you to understand concerning the gospel of God. Number one, the gospel is from God. Romans 1.1 1, 1 says, Paul, a servant of, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand. So this isn't an afterthought. This is something that he had planned through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. You know, Paul received this directly from God, directly from Jesus himself. This is the gospel is from God. It was accepted by the apostles and the leaders of the church. We see it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 2, and Galatians 7, 10. And so Paul is talking about the good news, and he wants us to understand through the book of Romans that the gospel is good. Everybody say good. And we need to understand that. We need to really understand the gospel. And I believe most Christians are actually illiterate about the gospel of God. They don't understand it. They get saved, but they think the gospel is just about going to heaven. It's much more. It's much deeper. It's much profound than just that. 
So number two, the gospel is a number of different things. The gospel is from God, but the gospel is all about Jesus. Romans 3, 4, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel is all about Jesus. Listen, you cannot get to God without Jesus. It is about Jesus. And if Jesus is offensive to you, change your mind about Jesus. Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. He gave it all for us. He is the only man on earth that gave everything for you and I. It is all about Jesus. Got to understand that. We'll go through this. Paul is all about. Paul is a Jesus man. You understand that. He is all about. He is not about himself. He is not about you. He is about Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. Gospel is all about Jesus. The the other thing that the gospel is about, it is for everyone who believes. Romans 1.16. It's for everyone who believes. No matter who you are, no matter what race you are, no matter how rich or poor you are, it is for everybody who believes. No matter how many bad things you've done, it is for you. No matter how good you are, it is for you. It is for everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God. And we'll talk about that more in detail later. But so it's the it's the same word that we that the that that Jesus used for the Holy Spirit. Dynamite. It's powerful. It's it's it means strength. It means ability. It means force. It means might. It's inherent power. It's powerful performing miracle. The gospel is very powerful. Now, in in our circles, in charismatic circles, and Pentecostal circles, this is what we've done. We've 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 taken the gospel and put it over here, and taken the Holy Spirit and put it over here, and we've more focused on the Holy Spirit than we do the gospel. But the problem is, you can't separate the two. They're one. They go hand in hand. They're, they're everything. The gospel is important. It's, it's powerful. And without the gospel, you cannot have the Holy Spirit. And with the gospel, the, the Holy Spirit doesn't go away. The Holy Spirit comes with the gospel. You have the gospel. You receive the gospel of Christ. You receive the word of the Lord. You, the Holy Spirit is right there with it. It has the ability. The gospel has the ability to produce faith needed to believe unto salvation. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing. That's the, that's the incredible thing. When you talk about the gospel of God, it, it doesn't need people to have faith. It provides faith for them. It provides faith for you. How did you get saved? Did you have faith in God? No. You didn't have any faith in God. You, tr- you were trying to have faith in self and what you were trying to do, and that didn't work at all. So when the gospel is preached, something starts to rise up in you because it produces faith needed to believe to salvation. And so when the gospel is preached, that's how important it is that we share it, it produces faith. Now, we have to act on it, right? We have to act on our faith. That's been produced inside of us. Some people will do that. I, I remember me. I've been in church, I was in church six months before I, got, I gave my life to Christ. 
But every time the gospel was preached, something rose inside of me, but I didn't act on it. Until that one day, one older gentleman in the back row, a deacon of this charismatic Baptist church, came and tapped on my shoulder and says, hey, listen, are you going to go up? And I said, yeah, I'm going to go up. And as, as a young kid, I went up and I gave my life to Christ. It produced faith in me, but I have to act on it. That's the thing about the gospel. It will produce faith. When you preach the good news, when you teach the good news, when you testify of the good news, it will produce faith in people. See, the gospel is simple enough for a child to understand, but it's complicated enough to spend a lifetime unraveling. And I've heard people say this, oh, I want to go on to deeper things. There is nothing deeper than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing deeper. It is good news. And when we lose that joy of understanding the good news, the joy of our salvation, what did David do when he, after he had sinned? He had lost the joy of his salvation. That's what he said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. See, this is a very deep, deep book because it's all about the gospel of God. It's all about it. And the third thing it does, it produces, the gospel will produce obedience. Verse 5 says, through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. Notice it's not obedience in the law. The gospel so impacts us that it's moving us away from having to have twos. We're moving from away from Christianity being a bunch of do's and don'ts. And we're walking in this gospel power that helps us walk in the ways of God. But it creates in us a desire to do it. That's the difference between the gospel and the, and the law. That's the difference from the new covenant and the old covenant. I don't have to do these things. I get to do these things. It produces something inside of me that I want to. I want to walk in it. It's, I, I don't have to have these do's and don'ts. That's not what Christianity is all about. The Christianity is all about all, the, all, all of what God is and who God is. And the gospel is all about His goodness and His greatness. And I want to live like God. I want to be like God. You don't have to point your finger at me to get me to do something. You don't have to have to condemn me. You don't have to do any of these things. You don't have to get fear inside of me for me to be, live holy life. Why? Because the gospel is so great and so good and the revelation of it is so great. Guess what? I'm going to automatically walk in it because I love God so much. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that here at the end here. See, the gospel in a nutshell is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In the next verse, God didn't send his son into this world, condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through him. This is what Paul said in Acts 26, right after his conversion. Acts 26, verse 17. I'm going to read out of the Passion Version. It says this, I will rescue you from the persecution of your own people and from the hostility of the other nations that I will send to you. And you will open their eyes to their true condition so that they may turn from darkness to the light and the power of Satan to the power of God. By placing their faith in me, they will receive the total forgiveness of sins and be made holy and taking hold of the inheritance that I give to my children. That's what Jesus told the Apostle Paul after his conversion. 
That's what's happening. That's the gospel. And Paul will will talk a bit, little bit about that in, in chapter one. He talk about um, how man needs the gospel because of their sin. But what happens is, is that we're going to turn. That's what the gospel does. It helps people turn from darkness into light, from the power of Satan to walking in the power of God by placing their faith in Jesus and receive total forgiveness of sin. They're made holy and they take hold of their inheritance. Amen. That's what the gospel does. I, I take hold of my inheritance by the power of God. I have inheritance in him. I am holy, and I start acting like I should be. I should live. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it talks about an exchange that we have because of Christ, because of the gospel. In verse 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sin against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making the his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. We are the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. And that's the thing that we need to believe. And I believe a lot of believers do not believe, really believe the gospel. They still are trying to act by works. They're trying to make things happen. They're trying to become holy. Listen, when you place your faith in God, in Christ Jesus, guess what? You're placing your faith that he did it all on the cross and that you are holy now. Holiness is not future tense. Holiness is present. And you've got to trust in what Christ did at the cross, that he made it. Because the only thing you do, you focus on the outward. God knows what's happened on the inside. And you are holy. And the more you do that, it's going to change the outside Amen? Romans 3.21, Paul says this about the gospel. He says, but now, independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that the scriptures prophesied would come. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. You get that? His righteousness was made available through his faithfulness, not yours. And look what it says. And now all who believe in him receive that gift. For there is really no difference between us. For we all have sinned in our need of the glory of God. Yet, through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives us, gives away his righteousness, his gift of love and favor now cascades over us, all because of Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from guilt, punishment, and the power of sin. Amen. Aren't you glad about that? That guilt and punishment and the power of sin, Jesus liberated us from. You know, you really should be on your chairs, jumping up and down, thanking God for that. Amen? 
See, this is my hope, is that we would truly believe this. I mean, all of us deal with doubt on this issue. I'm included. We all deal with doubt because we 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 are our worst critic. How many of you guys would agree about yourself? You're your worst critic. You look at your faults. You know your faults more than anybody. You might might try to hide them. You might try not to deal with them. Now, I'm not saying that that sin should continue. It shouldn't continue in our life. See, but when we understand righteousness, what God has given us, we understand the gospel then we understand we are truly free. And when we understand that and we believe that and put our faith in that, then we can walk in it because Christ liberated us from guilt, from punishment, and the power of sin. Now look at verse 25. Jesus, God-given destiny, was to be sacrificed to take away sin. And now he is our mercy seat because of his death on the cross. We come to him for mercy, for God has made a provision for us to be forgiven by faith in the sacred blood of Jesus. This is the perfect demonstration of God's justice because until now he had been so patient, holding back his justice out of his tolerance for us. So he covered over the sins of those who lived prior to Jesus' sacrifice. Verse 26, And when the season of tolerance came to an end, there was only one possible way for God to give away his righteousness and still be true to both his justice and his mercy, to offer up his own son. So now because we stand on the faithfulness of Jesus, God declares us righteous in his eyes. Wow. Now, now you're going to have to get wrap this around your mind, and this, is gonna, this may hurt some of you, by the way. That even while you are sinning because of Jesus, God still sees you as righteous. Now, that's not sacrilegious. religious. Is it wrong that you sin? Why? Because what does sin do? Sin kills, steals, and destroys, right? It can still do that in your life. I mean, if you're going to go rob a bank, um, you're going to probably get caught. What's going to happen to you if you rob a bank? Will you steal? You're going to go to jail, right? If you murder, it's going to hurt you. If you go, you know, play out in the, in the traffic, you're going to get hit by a truck, Right? Sin hurts. Sin, sin still does that, right? But God still sees you as righteous as a believer. As long as you love him and you're going after him, he sees you as righteous. See, we, we have to get that in our mind. And I know that's hard. I, I can feel the pullback. Now, I'm not giving you an, it's not right for you to continue sin. Because this is what happened if you continue to sin. Sin unrepented hardens your heart. So what does it do? It will take you away from the things of God, right? You will not operate. You will not experience. You will not live in the gospel of God. We understand that. But God sees you as righteous. So that's why you have to think that way. So I've told you a number, number of times, the way out of your sin is not to focus on your sin. It's to focus on Jesus and what he sees about you. Because you focus on your sin, guess what's going to happen? You're going to continue to sin because that's going to be your focus. But you focus on Jesus, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get out of that sin. You're going to start living and experiencing and loving and putting faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
See, when you start doing that and you start realizing, no, I am righteous, not because of what I've done, because of what he's done. And I'm going to rely on the power of God to get out of that because sin has no power over me because of what Christ did. God has declared us righteous in his eyes. You are declared righteous. Realize that. Start walking in that. Start speaking that over and over of your, in your life. You are not a bad father. You are not a bad mother. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And because of that, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And because of that, you have the power to be who God's called you to be. Amen? You have the power to live holy. You have the power to live it on the outside. You are holy on the inside. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Allow it to come out of you and start living like the gospel has provided for you. Amen? We have that on the inside of us. Romans 1.17 says this, The gospel is God's revealed righteousness for the believer, a righteousness that only comes by faith. You can't do it by your works. There's two kinds of righteousness that you can work by. You can live by your self-righteousness, working of the law, working or trying or striving to be good, striving to be righteous, and guess what? You'll never make it. And if you live by that type of righteousness, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be filled with regret, remorse. You're going to be always condemned because guess what? Because you don't see yourselves as righteous because you see it by what you do, not by what he did. Our righteousness, not our sin, the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah 64. Our own righteousness, our own righteousness, us trying to become good. Doesn't work. This is God's righteousness. It is imputed righteousness. It is freely given. And it comes by faith. And it was made by Christ. And that's the good news. That I can't make myself righteous. He has already made me righteous. I, You know, really, to be honest with you, as a believer, if you really trust in Jesus Christ, you really, by faith, gave your life to Christ. You can't get any holier. Just tap the person next to you and tell you that's good preaching right now. I mean, that's good. If you could get holier, then Christ wasn't good enough. You are holy. So, Sean, well, my, my actions don't always line up to it. That may be true. But your actions didn't make you holy. Christ did. And when you begin to realize that, that you are holy, and you focus on that, and you by faith have the power of God, you realize that that sin is nothing. It has no power over you. And see, this is the thing. The reason we sin is why? Because we feel like we're missing something. Right? You sin because you feel like you're missing something. You're missing out. You need something more. But when you really have faith in what Christ did, you realize he is all that you need. And nothing else satisfies but him. And that's why the gospel is so important for us to study. So not only are we holy on the inside, Outside is going to reflect what's happened on the inside. 
And as you start moving forward from glory to glory, you're going to see that happen outside of you. And that's the good news. Jesus paid a price for our sin. He provides a way for us to have right standing with God. See, this this is what the book of Romans will bring us. More understanding of salvation, more understanding of grace and faith uh, and righteousness. And I believe it's going to challenge you. I believe it's going to challenge me. It's going to, but I think it's going to refresh us. It's going to refresh us. And it's going to give us more understanding of those things. And you'll be like David prayed. Restore the joy of our salvation. That it's going to be a joy to you again. If you've lost that, it's going to become a joy. Because you're going to realize what you have. Amen? And you're going to, you're going to start to dig deeper in that. And get more revelation and understanding of it. See, the, the key to living the life of God that he promised in John 10.10 10 is knowing and living, experiencing by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, I want you to go back to verse 1. And this is going to help us in understanding why Paul wrote this letter and really why... Um, you know, our position should be when we're, when we're looking into this. Romans chapter 1 is very important. It's very deep. And a lot of times we skip over this. And I want, I want to show you something. Because this is going to reveal to you why the apostles did what they did. You know what they did? They, ne- they didn't deny Christ. And they died talking about the gospel. Why did they go to that extreme? And here Paul reveals that, really. And says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, let me explain that. There's a strange law in the Old Testament. It comes out of Deuteronomy 15. And it's one of those that's easy. You just glance at and, and then forget about it because it doesn't, you know, um, it doesn't really... You know, we don't know about that type of stuff today because it talks about the guidelines for freeing slaves or servants. So at the surface level, it seems a little, has a little impact on us, you know, because we don't have slaves. We don't have that type of servants anymore. But here's the gist of the law, because I want you to understand what Paul is saying here. If you are an indentured servant, you had a specific time that you would be with your master. And then you would be set free. But some didn't choose to be free. Why was that? So if a Hebrew man or woman in the Old Testament, they usually what they did, they would sell themselves into slavery. There's a reason for that. Because they were very, very poor. Um, And so a lot of times they did it because of their poverty. They would live a lot better life. The whole family would live a better life serving a master, okay? And so they would sell themselves because of poverty or because of some circumstances. So the term in, in, in the Old Testament was, the agreement was for six years. So they would sell themselves in slavery for six years. And by law, in the seventh year, they were supposed to be released. And here's why. It served as a reminder to both parties that they all were slaves in Egypt. So, but the Lord redeemed, and that the Lord redeemed them. So they wanted, the Lord wanted them to know that they were all slaves and that it wasn't supposed to be forever. 
So bottom line, God wanted them to be free. So they were served for six years as a slave. Um, and there was a way to treat slaves. There was nothing like what we had in, in the United States. That was just awful. This was a lot different type of slavery back then. This was, I did it on purpose. I wanted to be a slave because of my poverty or my circumstance. And there's a way to treat slaves. You didn't treat slaves like animals. You treated them with respect. Okay? And so here's what it was. But God wanted them ultimately free. And this is the law. Also made provisions for those servants or slaves. So after they would be let free, the, the master would have to take of his cattle, of his flock, his threshing floor, of his wine press in, in Deuteronomy 15, and he would have to give it to that servant for serving him for 16 years. So it was a win-win for both parties. So they would be actually treated better than a hired hand. So the slave or servant at the seventh year would go out blessed. He could start his own farm or whatever he wanted to do. He would go out blessed. But here's the strange part. The law also gives instructions for when a person doesn't want to be released. So you say, man, that's crazy. Why wouldn't someone want to be released from being a slave or servant? Well, that happened. And so here's, here's what happened. It was when the entered servant wouldn't want to be released, why, this is how they would handle him. And here's what the law, law said. In the seventh year, if the man or woman chooses to stay with the master because of their love for each other. So the servant didn't want to leave the master because how good the master was treating them. They were blessed. And they realized, even with what I'm, I would get after I was a servant, I would leave. I could leave him and do my own thing, but I wouldn't be as blessed as I am now. And they, they had there was a love that it became. They became family. This master treated the servant so well that they didn't want to leave. So the Bible says, if that happens, the master would pierce his ear. And it would be a sign of a lifelong arrangement. It was an expression of deep love and devotion by the freed person in response to the kindness of the master. So Paul opens up this book of Romans with a powerful statement. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now the Greek word servant is doulos. And it literally means bond servant. The same type of servant that Deuteronomy is talking about. So Paul declares himself a lifelong slave of Jesus Christ. In his opening statement, he acknowledges he has submitted himself into the master's service in response. Why? Because he understood God's goodness, his kindness, his righteousness, and his grace. This is a beautiful illustration of an Old Testament that can be true for us today. That can be in our heart of the gospel. Our response to Christ when, when gaining insight of the gospel, when gaining insight of his grace, of his love, of his mercy, of his righteousness, should be that of Paul. We willingly enter a relationship with Christ as a bondservant. We're, there's no obligation, no pressure, not because it's something that we should do, but it's because of something that we realize how good God is. 
that I enter in to a relationship with Christ forever. That brings new insight to me. Why missionaries can give up their life for the gospel of God. Why, why people, back, especially back then in, in the first and second century Christians, would, would they, all they would have to do is deny Christ. And if they did, they could, they could go on with their life. If not, they were thrown into a lion's den. Why did they do that? Why did they risk everything for the gospel? Why did they risk everything? Because God is that good. And they realize how good and how loving he is. And there is nothing greater than the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, you can live this life because, I, man, I, I'm a slave to Jesus because he's so good. That's what Paul is starting out this gospel of Rome, Romans, letting them know I'm a bondservant because of his goodness. Because there is nothing greater than what is in him, in Christ Jesus. I'm set apart for the good news. The good news is that good. When you find that out, that's so good. That's why I believe most Christians don't really understand that. Why, why, do, I, why do I give my tithes and offerings? Because he's that good. Why do I, I, I spend time in prayer for people? Because he's that good. Why do I witness to people on the street? Because he's that good. Why do people do not deny Christ? Because he's that good. I'm re- willing to risk my life, Paul says, for this, and he does. Because the gospel is that good. All the apostles but one died. Because of persecution. Why did they do that? Because, was it fake news? No. You don't die for fake news, right? Why did they die? Why did they die? Because they served a risen Savior who was that good. A master who was that good. So as we go through and dive through the book of Romans, let us do it asking the Holy Spirit to give us revelation of the good news. Now listen. The Bible talks about there's a great falling away that's going to happen. Why do people fall away from God? Because they don't know really how good he really is. Because if you know him like Paul knows him, you will not ever leave God's side no matter what happens to you because you know he is that good. So as we study this, I pray that we're going to see that in our lives, that we're going to be more dedicated to Jesus than ever before, not because we have to, because he's that good and we get to. And there's no way, God, you know, I I never want it. If you have pierced ears, that's fine. But I never want it pierced ears. I I don't like needles. That's probably why. But, um, God, pierce my ear if that's what it's needed. I'm sold out to Christ no matter what. I'm sold out to delivering his gospel no matter what. Amen?
let that be us. As we go through this, dive into it, realize how good he really is. Realize the gospel. Realize what righteousness really is. Amen? Bow your heads, close your eyes.